What's up, everybody? Welcome back to This Week in Lacrosse. This week, we're recapping the Geico Lacrosse Showcase. We're going to go around the country in 90 seconds, and we're going to, of course, do Plays of the Week. And we're starting now. Welcome back, everybody. So glad you decided to watch another episode of This Week in Lacrosse. If you're new to this channel, please do me a favor and hit that subscribe button down below. And if you have not already, hit that little bell because that'll give you a little notification whenever I post new videos. I know we didn't have a This Week in Lacrosse last week because I was traveling and it got to be a little bit too much of a time crunch, but we're back. And we're going to do a little bit of an extended episode this week because we have interviews with players from Haverford School, and we're doing some pretty big news that happened in the past two weeks from around the country. I really want to talk about the Geico Lacrosse Showcase. This event was held at St. Anthony's High School in South Huntington on Long Island in New York, and I have attended the Geico National Showcase. It was at Catholic University the last couple years, and will be again this year, but this event was unique in that they did it during the regular season for all these teams. Previously, a lot of the teams that participated in the Nationals tournament, it was after already their season had completed. They, some, Many of them had already won state titles, but this year they decided to bring in teams during the regular season, which opened up a lot of opportunity for a Seton Hall prep, for a Darien out of Connecticut to participate in something like this. And it made for a phenomenal, phenomenal showcase. I mean, we had some pretty great games. I was there on Saturday, and two of the three games were some of the most exciting lacrosse I've ever seen. And to kind of kick it off was the game that kicked it off. It was Haverford School out of Pennsylvania taking on Ward Melville out of Long Island. And this game, it was a defensive battle. It was one of those, like, I wasn't sure what to expect coming into it because we all knew about Peter Garno. We all knew about the firepower Ward Melville has. Both teams, I think both teams started the year ranked in the inside lacrosse poll, probably in the top 10. I think Haverford School at the time was ranked number 11. I know Ward Melville, they were coming off a loss off Smithtown West coming into this game, which I actually thought might irritate them a little bit. And you could tell both teams really wanted it. I mean, this was a game that was on national television. Both teams were dogfighting left and right. The teams battled defensively. Neither of them scored in the second quarter, which made the end of the game that much more exciting because it was Matt Costin and Peter Garno that really kind of got them back in it. I think with less than three minutes left, Melville took a 5-4 to four lead, but it was Peter Garno that scored with about a minute 38 left in the game that tied the game. And then it really looked like it was going into overtime until Matt Costin scored the game-winning goal with 14 seconds left. But, you know, I really have to give it up. I think my, my player of the game would have to be Haverford goalie Sage Garrido. He just stood on his head. There were several saves that he made during the game that were very impressive and were point-blank shots that you thought were locks to go in. Overall, he made eight saves, and I had the chance to talk with him after the game about his performance and what it was like to play on ESPN. I think it was a, it was a really good win. I mean, we started out not, not really the way we wanted, but, uh, you know, we stuck together as a team. We picked it up at the end. We got some great shooters like Peter and Mac. They really finished it for us at the end. And, uh, you know, we, we, I, we always knew we were going to win the whole game. It was just... It's just like a bound to happen. Yeah. It's because I know us. Talk about uh, your, your play because you, you, you made some pretty big saves in this game. Yeah, yeah. Just um, just I thought I came out reading the ball pretty well, but I think it, it really helped communicating because 
communicate with my defense a lot. That's what helped a lot the most for us and helped me get into my game, helped our defense get into the game. And uh, yeah, it helped, it helped everyone. So yeah. I take care of You guys had a big week because you beat IMG National yeah, earlier yeah. this week. And then you play this game broadcast on ESPNU. Yeah. What's, it, what's it mean to win a game like this? on national TV. Uh, it's awesome. It's my first time being, you know, I think it's our first, pretty much for a whole team, our first time being on anything like this. So it's uh, it's really cool. It's really uh, it's really awesome. Yeah, it's like uh, it's a one-of-a-kind experience for a lot of kids that are on this team. And when you go outside the lines, Haverford School had a pretty interesting dynamic coming into the game. The school was about two and a half, three hours with traffic, I'm sure, uh, from St. Anthony's School. They actually headed back to Haverford School that night because the players had prom and then they drove back to St. Anthony's on Sunday where they took on Lincoln Sudbury and they actually were able to beat Lincoln Sudbury 11-8. So it was kind of a whirlwind weekend for the Fords and obviously they came away with a 2-0 record over that time and if you just track back a few extra days before the showcase they actually had beat IMG Academy out of Florida um, which was also a nationally ranked program so they had a pretty good week. And I had the chance to talk with head coach John Nostrant, who we will be talking about later as well, about the team's participation in this event. Yeah, it was, it's a big week, and these guys are kind of gamers, as you saw. I don't think we played great, but a lot of that was because Melville played well, and you know the zone gave us some problems. But it's just a lot, our schedule is fun. The kids get excited for it. You know, we got to go to the prom tonight, drive back up here tomorrow, and play Lincoln Sud, and then you know take a four days off and then get to play St. Anthony. So that that's kind of what it's all about at Haverford and, and we're just happy to get this win. Yeah, I noticed you guys, the sideline energy on your guys. You guys were very animated, jumping around for every goal. Like, is that just brought normal for you guys? Or well, is that just yeah, national I think television so. brings out? I think it is, and I told these guys. It was, you know, it's one of the first, you know, maybe it was the first game, high school lacrosse game on national TV. and to embrace it and enjoy it, man. They deserved it and, and it's, it is fun. And that first one's over, right? So it goes so fast. So just trying to get these guys to live in the moment and enjoy every bit of it. Now the second game of the day, when you thought it couldn't get any better than the Haverford Ward Melville game, Darian out of Connecticut and Seton Hall Prep out of New Jersey managed to top it. One player that really impressed me was Thomas Colucci, the Seton Hall Prep faceoff guy. He went 20 for 27 in this game and really helped the team control the ball, and the amount of offense that the Pirates displayed in this game was really impressive. They had five different players in the game score at least two points, and that firepower was on full display as the game wound down, and it started to look like Darian had it under control. Their goalie, Andy Demopoulos, was standing on his head. He had a great two days. Even though the Blue Wave finished 0-2 in the tournament, he still had a great showcase, and against some of the really best teams in the nation. But getting back to the firepower for Seton Hall Prep, it was Kyle Stevenson. He scored the final two goals of regulation with less than two minutes to go to pull Seton Hall Prep down from a 11-9 deficit back to an even 11. And then Cullen Wolf scored the game winner in overtime with right around uh, 2.59 left. And it was a whirlwind finish and you could see the excitement on the Seton Hall Prep sideline even at the end of regulation because they had a few shots at the end of regulation and then of course the excitement when they actually won it in overtime. So the final game of day one featured St. Anthony's which was the host school taking on Lincoln Sudbury out of Massachusetts and I had the chance to talk with Coach Ivana, the head coach at Lincoln Sudbury before the game and he had told me they had six players out 
due to either injury or illness heading into this game. I want to say two players had ACL tears and one player had a broken bone that were keeping them out. And this was one of those things like the teams battle all season, injuries happen, but it is a really tough thing to come on the road an event like this and overcome six starters missing out of the game. And I have to give it to him. I thought for a little while that Coach Vano was might have been sandbagging me a little bit because at one point they were actually up three to two somewhere in the mid first quarter. And I was like, you know, this could be one of those games that they really seemed like the underdog. St. Anthony's came in highly ranked. Of course, everybody knows Brennan O'Neill. Everybody was kind of expecting him to put on a show. At least I was. But with the Warriors kind of fighting and scrapping, they made it a little bit tougher than I think St. Anthony's might have been expecting earlier. But as things tend to happen, it really seemed to me from my perspective that St. Anthony's almost seemed to get a little bit irritated that they were down because all of a sudden it was just bang, bang, bang. The offense took over. I was most impressed with Jake Bonamy. He ended up with seven points in this game and he really seemed to be able to score whenever he wanted to. Like his speed and quickness was very impressive to see up close. And just the amount of talent and the amount of sharpness and skill that the St. Anthony's Friars had was amazing to watch. In addition to Bonamy, we had Andrew McCourty and Brennan O'Neill, both with four points in that game. And it was one of those, like, it was a complete class act. I got to give St. Anthony's total credit because in the second half, Lincoln Sudbury put in a freshman goalie and it started to get a little bit out of hand. St. Anthony's outscored the Warriors 7-1 to in the third quarter. And to be perfectly honest, it probably could have been a little bit worse. But St. Anthony's emptied the bench. They brought in their guys. I really got to give it up to St. Anthony's. They were a complete class act for the whole thing. It had to have been tough because I'm sure the kids were excited to play on national television. But you got to figure out those younger guys that might not have otherwise gotten the opportunity to play. They got some little national television love as well. But I do want to give a shout out to the Lincoln Sudbury goalie, Nolan O'Brien. He was a freshman that was kind of thrust in there by need at the end of the first half and he played the entire second half. I think he was credited with around three to five saves in the game, but it was one of those things that is a really tough position to be in. I mean, not only are you playing a St. Anthony's team that's got firepower across the field and a highly ranked team at that, you also are playing on national television. So I'm sure that pressure and that spotlight had to have been tough for a freshman really for anybody to be honest with you, but for a freshman to come in under that circumstance had to have been tough. But one thing I truly noticed was Lincoln Sudbury, the team rallied around him. The defenders were constantly going up, trying to keep his head up, keep him in the game. And that team did not quit. There was never a moment in that game where the players' heads were hanging that you could tell they are a tight-knit and well-coached team. So I really got to give it up to Lincoln Sudbury, who under tough circumstances, really impressed me and they're going to be okay this season. So that's it for my recap of the Geico Lacrosse Showcase. I'd really like to hear from you. Like, what did you guys think? Did you guys get to watch the games? Who impressed you? What teams impressed you? And what did you think of the showcase overall? Are there any teams that you would like to see do this? Is this one of those things you want to see maybe rotate at different schools each year? Or do you want to see it on Long Island and you want to see those Long Island teams take on other Mid-Atlantic teams? I'd really love to hear from you down in the comments below. All right, last week we tried something new in going around the country in 60 seconds. And even though I made it, I actually had to do a few edits to get everything in to that time frame. And with two weeks of news to cover, I'm going to give myself 120 maybe a little bit more. So we're going to start now. So first off, it's worth noting that the first two champions of 2019 have now been crowned. South Carolina season is now complete and we have a dynasty ending and a dynasty starting. Oceanside Collegiate Academy, who's in its only second year as a varsity program, has won the last two 
South Carolina State Championships, the Class 4A division. They won this year with 13-8, so congratulations to the Land Sharks on that one. In the other game, the 5A game, Wando had been going for a five-straight championship, but Fort Mill managed to knock them off and win their first title since 2014. Maybe the biggest news out of the high school across world this week was John Nostrand, who we talked about earlier at Haverford School. He will now be the new head coach at Gilman School in the MIAA in Maryland. This is pretty big news because obviously before the season had started, everybody knew that Coach Nostrand was no longer going to be the head coach at Haverford School after this season. And Brooks Matthews, who's the head coach at Gilman, announced he would also not be returning after this year. But Nostrand, who has been at Haverford School and won 489 games as of this recording, is going to head down to the MIAA, which they are very familiar with each other because as I have on the website, there are several matchups between Haverford School and MIAA schools since Nostrand took over. And he's done pretty well against the MIAA in his career. But it's gonna be really interesting to see how Nostrand does as head coach of the Greyhounds moving forward. There were several notable player performances this week, actually this past week, as we've had a changing of the guard in several states. We're gonna start with the smallest in the union, and that's Delaware. Tommy Bloom from Sanford School is the new all-time leader in goals and points, at least that I'm aware of. Delaware is one of those states it's tough to get information out of, but Bloom has now got 336 career points on 212 career goals. That surpasses the previous record that I had as Andrew Pettit of Tower Hill. So it's congratulations to Tommy Bloom on that achievement. We're going from a small state to a really big one. In California, Kevin Groninger, who is one of my Player of the Year candidates, officially became the state's all-time leading scorer on Thursday night. The Bryant commit scored two goals and two assists against Newport Harbor in the playoffs nonetheless to give him 393 career points. That actually surpassed Anthony DeMeo's previous record of 391 career points. Now Groninger had already broken the state's assist record earlier in the week so getting the points record is just kind of icing on top and if you want to give a little bit more icing he has at least one more game to go and he could become the first player in state history with 400 career points. Wrapping up this week's news brief is MJ McMahon from Cardinal Mooney. Now Mooney and McMahon are in the FHSAA playoffs, but McMahon achieved a personal achievement this week when he reached over 400 career points. That puts him in pretty elite company as there's only a handful of players in Florida history that have actually reached 400 career points. So congratulations to MJ on that personal achievement and good luck to him and Cardinal Mooney and the remainder of the playoffs.